Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Mystery over China plane crash deepens after discovery six miles from crash site. The mystery surrounding downed flight MU5735 has deepened after evidence emerged the aircraft may have started to fall apart mid-air. Crash investigators are working to establish what happened to the China Eastern Airlines flight which crashed to the ground on Monday, killing all 132 on board. The service was traveling between Kunming to Guangzhou at a cruising altitude when it suddenly nosedived at around the time it should have began its descent. It appears to have plummeted vertically falling 29,100 feet in two and a half minutes and before leaving a large crater in the ground. Human remains, belongings and debris have been found scattered over a wide area close to where the Boeing 737-800 hit a forested slope in China's Guangxi region. Zheng 11, head of the local fire and rescue department said no evidence of common explosives had been detected amid the wreckage. A local government official said more than 2,000 people were combing for clues across a 200,000-square-meter site. The search area had to be expanded after a four-foot fragment suspected to be from the plane was found six miles from the main investigation scene. Jeff Gazzetti former chief of accident investigations at the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, said it raised further questions about the incident. He told Mail Online, in my view, that's the aircraft shedding parts as it's coming down. The questions are, exactly what piece was it and when did it come off? China's first major air tragedy in more than a decade has prompted a review of safety procedures by the government and baffled air crash investigators. Flight data recovered from the black box recorder is being analyzed in Beijing but may take up to a fortnight to be made public, according to Chinese state media. Mao Yanfeng, an official at the Civil Aviation Administration of China, CARC, said, currently, we cannot determine the exact time needed for the data downloading and analysis of the black box already recovered. A second black box has not been found but the search appears to be getting closer after an emergency location transmitter which had been installed close to the flight data recorded was recovered. The crash investigation is being led by China but the United States was invited to take part because the Boeing 737-800 was designed and manufactured there. According to flight tracking website Flight Radar 24, the plane briefly appeared to pull out of its nosedive, before plunging again. Authorities said the pilots did not respond to repeated calls from air traffic controllers during the rapid descent. Scotland a high-priority target for Putin in any world war. Defence experts claim that Scotland would become a high-priority target for Russia if a third world war was to break out. A new paper from the Royal United Services Institute also claims that Scotland's independence could make it a gift for Vladimir Putin, who it states is revisiting Russia's Cold War bastion defence policy as reported in the Times a strategy that targeted land and critical defence sites in Scotland to establish military control over the North Atlantic.
The paper goes on to suggest that Scotland's growing importance for NATO defence comes at precisely the moment when the prospect of Scotland voting to leave the UK has never looked greater and refers to the United Kingdom's breakup as a wild card for high North security. It is understood that some within NATO are opposed to Scotland gaining membership if the country lobbies for the expensive and disruptive removal of nuclear submarines. But Rusey argued that a Scottish defence force could thrive if the SNP abandons its demand for disarmament. The report stated, despite what Scotland may be able to offer to maritime security in the High North, it would be naive to think that an independent Scotland's integration into the North Atlantic and High North defence and security architecture would be entirely seamless in both a NATO and an EU context. Holyrood would need to be wary of the reputational damage that could be caused by taking any action that could be perceived as an attempt to weaponize tensions over Faslan and Caport to try to extract political or economic concessions from Westminster. Such a dispute would be a gift to Russia and other adversaries looking to exacerbate divisions in Europe over defense and security. The paper written by Duncan de Pledge, a lecturer in geopolitics and security at Loughborough University, and Andreas Ostergen, a senior research fellow at Fritjof Nansen Institute in Norway, is based on interviews with serving and retired military personnel, politicians and defence experts. It is believed Russia will launch incursions into Scotland's newly independent maritime and airspace to test the strengths of its defences. Experts already harbour concerns that Russia is attempting to track UK submarines as they leave the Faslan naval base in Clyde. The UK, meanwhile, are expected to put the High North, a region encompassing the Arctic Circle and North Atlantic, at the centre of UK security priorities. The paper's authors also note that Scotland was the target of the first Nazi air raid on the UK when Rosyth was bombed in October 1939. They said, several NATO allies, Norway in particular, have been increasingly alarmed about the apparent revitalisation of Russia's bastion defence strategy, which extends throughout much of the High North, reaching at least as far south as the Shetland Islands if not to the Orkney Islands as well. The Bastion policy's objective is to secure control over parts of northern Norway to open a route to the North Atlantic and deny access for NATO to the land controlled by Greenland, Iceland and the UK. The combined joint operations from the Sea Centre of Excellence, a multinational defence advisory organisation accredited by NATO, warned, in the unlikely event of an armed conflict between Russia and NATO, striking and occupying operations should be expected from Russian joint forces, especially on vital infrastructure and military forces. It said Faslan and Scottish air bases would likely be on a high-priority target list under the strategy. Rusi has also suggested that China has been attempting to purchase assets in Iceland. Norway and Greenland and warned that could be with the aim of establishing a future military presence. It warned independence might also mean Scotland needing to balance defence spending against top priorities such as benefits, education and health, saying, 
the difficult and protracted negotiations between Westminster and Brussels that have followed Brexit since 2016 should serve as a warning to anyone who believes that Sexit would be a straightforward matter to resolve. The greatest danger will emerge if either Holyrood or Westminster attempts to overplay its hand. The SNP is aware that a messy breakup would open up a NATO security gap in the High North, and UK leaders also know a fledgling new state would struggle to defend itself. Stuart MacDonald, the SNP defence spokesman, welcomed Rousey's case for building a close bilateral security relationship between Edinburgh and London, approaching security and defence policy in the mature way. He said, while our neighbours in the rest of the UK would count among Scotland's closest allies, an independent and non-nuclear Scotland would build its security posture around the twin pillars of EU and NATO membership, continuing our long tradition of contributing to regional security in the High North and sharing the burden of its collective defence. Robber on the run after escaping prison van in just pants and socks. A suspected robber has escaped from a prison van wearing just his pants and socks. Dorset Police is carrying out extensive searches to find Kyler Gillington, 32, and are appealing to the public to help catch him. Gillington made off from a court prison a transit van in Hardy Road, Poole, after assaulting security officers at 11.12am yesterday. Detectives revealed he was barely dressed when he made his getaway bid. Eglinton has been described as white, 5 feet 11 inches tall and of medium build, with dark brown hair and a beard. He was remanded in custody after being charged with robbery in relation to an incident in Bournemouth on Thursday and appeared at Poole Magistrates Court the next day. The area is being searched with assistance from a police helicopter and the British Transport Police. People who have seen a man in just his underwear and socks are being urged to report it. Superintendent Heather Dykey said, I would like to reassure members of the public that we have a number of officers carrying out searches and other enquiries in a bid to locate Kyler Gillington as soon as possible and return him to lawful custody. I would urge anyone who has sees a man in the area in just his underwear and socks, or who matches the description given above and appears to be avoiding detection, to please report it to us. There is nothing at this time to suggest he poses a risk to the general public, however, we would urge people not to approach him and to please dial 999 immediately. There will be an extensive police presence in the area as we carry out these enquiries and officers can be approached by members of the community with any concerns. Yemen's Houthi rebels call truce after wave of attacks on Saudi Arabia. Yemen's Houthi rebels announced a three-day truce with the Saudi-led coalition and dangled the prospect of a permanent ceasefire on Saturday the seventh anniversary of a brutal conflict that has left millions on the brink of famine. A day after a wave of Houthi drone and missile attacks on Saudi targets, including an oil plant that turned into an inferno near the Formula One race in Jeddah, political leader Mahdi al-Mashat put rebel operations on hold. As thousands of people marched in the rebel-held capital, Sana'a, to mark the anniversary, 
Mashat appeared on TV to announce the suspension of missile and drone strikes and all military actions for a period of three days. And we are ready to turn this declaration into a final and permanent commitment in the event that Saudi Arabia commits to ending the siege and stopping its raids on Yemen once and for all he said. There was no immediate response from Saudi Arabia which retaliated to Friday's attacks by launching airstrikes against Sanar and Hodada and destroying four explosives-laden boats. Yemen, the Arab world's poorest country even before the war, has been teetering on the brink of catastrophe for years as the complex conflict rages on multiple fronts. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed, directly or indirectly and millions have been displaced in what the UN calls the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Peace will come. Mashat said the Houthis are ready to release all coalition prisoners, including, President Abdrabi Mansur, Hardy's brother, militia prisoners and other nationalities in exchange for the full release of all our prisoners. The Saudi regime must prove its seriousness, by responding to a ceasefire lifting the siege and expelling foreign forces from our country. And then peace will come and then it will be time to talk about political solutions in a calm atmosphere away from any military or humanitarian pressure. The Iran-backed rebels' surprise move came exactly seven years after the Saudi-led coalition's intervention to support Yemen's government, after the Houthis seized Sanar in 2014. After months of negotiations, Iran is near to reviving a stalled deal with international partners where it will curb its nuclear ambitions in return for an easing of sanctions. When it first intervened in Yemen on 26 March, 2015, the Saudi-led coalition was made up of nine countries. Today, it is largely just Saudi Arabia and, to a lesser extent, the United Arab Emirates which says it withdrew troops from Yemen but remains an influential partner. The coalition's intervention has stopped the Houthis' advances in the south and east of the country but has been unable to push them out of the north, including the capital Sanaa. Militarily, the war is now at stalemate Elizabeth Kendall, a researcher at Oxford University, told AFP this week adding that Saudi Arabia may at this point be keen to extract itself from Yemen. But it needs to be able to position any withdrawal as a win and to ensure that it is not left with a Houthi-controlled enemy state on its southern border she said. Second black box found in China Eastern plane crash. Beijing, AP the second black box has been recovered from the crash of a China Eastern Boeing 737-800 that killed all 132 people on board last week, Chinese state media said Sunday. Firefighters taking part in the search found the recorder, an orange cylinder, on a mountain slope about 1.5 meters, 5 feet, underground, state broadcaster CCTV said. Experts confirmed it was the second black box. The impact of the crash scattered debris widely and created a 20-meter, 65-foot, deep pit in the side of the mountain. Searchers had been looking for the flight data recorder after finding the cockpit voice recorder four days ago. 
the two recorders should help investigators determine what caused the plane to plummet from 29,000 feet, 8,800 meters, and into a forested mountainside in southern China. The search for the black boxes and wreckage from the plane has been complicated by the remote setting and rainy and muddy conditions. Video posted by CGTN, the international arm of CCTV, showed an official holding the orange can-like object on site with the words recorder and do not open written on it. It appeared slightly dented but intact. Flight MU5735 crashed Monday en route from the city of Kunming in southeastern China to Guangzhou, a major city and export manufacturing hub near Hong Kong. An air traffic controller tried to contact the pilots several times after seeing the plane's altitude drop sharply but got no reply, officials have said. The cockpit voice recorder, also an orange cylinder, was found two days later on Wednesday. It has been sent to Beijing for examination and analysis. Hundreds of searchers have been combing the site outside the city of Vuju for days with shovels and other hand tools. Construction excavators have been brought in to remove earth and clear passageways to the site, and pumps are being used to drain collected water from the rain. Officials announced late Saturday that there were no survivors among the 123 passengers and nine crew members. DNA analysis has confirmed the identities of 120 of the people on board, they said. Searchers have found ID and bank cards belonging to the victims. China Eastern, one of China's four major airlines, and its subsidiaries have grounded all of their Boeing 737-800s, a total of 223 aircraft. The carrier said the grounding was a precaution, not a sign of any problem with the planes. The Boeing company said in a statement that a Boeing technical team is supporting the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board and the Civil Aviation Administration of China, which will lead the investigation into the crash. Myanmar junta chief vows to annihilate opponents of 2021 coup. Myanmar's junta will annihilate coup opponents, army chief Min Aung Lang said Sunday as the military staged a show of force on the anniversary of its bloodiest crackdown so far on democracy. The Southeast Asian country has been in chaos since a putsch in February 2021 with more than 1,700 people killed in crackdowns on dissent, according to a local monitoring group. Antiku People's Defense Force fighters clash regularly with junta troops, while fighting has also flared in border areas with more established ethnic rebel groups. Presiding over the annual parade that showcased tanks, truck-mounted missiles, artillery and troops on horseback. Min Ong Lang told some 8,000 assembled security personnel that the army would not let up. The military will no longer negotiate and annihilate until the end groups fighting to overturn its rule, he said ahead of the Armed Forces Day procession in armor-built capital Naypyidaw. Jets flew overhead trailing the yellow, red and green of the national flag while state media showed women lining the streets leading to the parade ground to give flowers and place garlands on the marching soldiers. Meanwhile, 
anti-coup protesters called on social media for a national power strike demonstration on Sunday evening. Armed Forces Day commemorates the start of local resistance to the Japanese occupation during World War II, and usually features a military parade attended by foreign officers and diplomats. Last year, as new junta chief Min Ong Lang inspected the parade, troops brutalized those protesting the coup that had ousted Aung San Suu Kyi's government. The violence was the bloodiest day so far in the military's crackdown on democracy rallies and left 163 protesters dead, according to a local monitoring group, and sparked widespread international condemnation. The junta has become increasingly isolated, with Cambodian strongman Hun Sen the only foreign leader to visit since the putsch. The vice defense minister of Russia a major arms supplier and ally had been due to attend this year's parade but was unable to because of his country's affairs, junta spokesman Zor Min Tun said. In February a UN expert on Myanmar said Russia along with other major ally China was continuing to supply the military with weapons, including fighter jets and armored vehicles. The United States and Britain on Friday announced new sanctions against Myanmar's army. The new measures came days after Washington said it has concluded that the country's military committed genocide against the mostly Muslim Rohingya minority. Since the putsch more than 1,700 people have been killed in a military crackdown on dissent, according to a local monitoring group. The Nottingham Street where smelly prisoners were tossed into river. A picturesque cliffside street in Nottingham, today lined with neat rows of council homes, was once the very place where prisoners were tossed from their cells into a river below. Cliff Road's unsavory history is widely known, having been home to some of the worst slum dwellings in Europe, and its historical intrigue doesn't stop there. Civic Society Executive Chairwoman, Hilary Sylvester, reveals more about this fascinating period in our city's history. Cliff Road, which runs at the foot of a 70-feet sandstone wall in the city centre, is an alluring little residential street. But this was not always the case. Many may have read before about its dark past filled with tales of immense poverty and terrible crimes. It was, after all, the site of some of the most terrible slums in all of Europe. Today, it is inhabited by a very welcoming and happy bunch of city dwellers who live in council homes built in the 1930s. Before this time, however, tall and slender tenement blocks were punctuated by sinister alleyways which were only to be patrolled by police officers in pairs. And nestled atop the cliffside in high pavement was the county gaol the dark and dank prison cells within which are still accessible by visiting the National Justice Museum. Those with curious eyes may even spot the rusting bars of the cells from Cliff Road itself. Because the Riverline was diverted as early as the 11th century to run beneath Nottingham Castle, before again being sent along what is now Canal Street and Cliff Road. A portion of the waterway ran beneath these cells before it was finally culverted in 1863. Correctional officers at the county gaol, therefore, made use of this feature according to Hilary Sylvester, 
the executive chairwoman of the Nottingham Civic Society. They would be put in the cell next door and there was a trap door to the side she said. The river lean at this time was beneath there and they reckon they were thrown out into the river. They were not put on the boat, instead they were towed behind because they were so appallingly smelly. They were towed into Trent Lock to clean them off. They would have then been taken down to the Humber. After being cleaned off many prisoners, convicted of petty crimes, were transported to Australia or New Zealand. Petty crimes were punishable by transportation, typically to America in the 18th century, before the Industrial Revolution led to growing wealth and poverty inequalities in Britain. As a result, crime levels began to rise and, following the end of the war for independence in America, many prisoners were subject to transportation to Australia as an alternative. Ms. Sylvester says the Shire Court, as the name would suggest, was at that time a county court. This meant, bizarrely, the building in the city of Nottingham was actually regarded as part of the county despite its location. Many prisoners who were to stay in the cells beneath this building were convicts of very minor crimes, such as thievery, but the punishments were nonetheless quite evidently brutal. To escape being thrown out of a cell and transported across the globe, one prisoner, Ms. Sylvester added, devised a plan that did indeed work. Someone escaped by fashioning a bar of soap, and a tin of shoe polish, into a gun. They carved a gun out of the soap and darkened it with the shoe polish she added. And they escaped. After that they decided it was not all that secure. Officials, Taliban blocked unaccompanied women from flights. Islamabad, Pakistan, AP, Afghanistan's Taliban rulers refused to allow dozens of women to board several flights, including some overseas, because they were traveling without a male guardian, two Afghan airline officials said Saturday. The officials, who spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of repercussions from the Taliban, said dozens of women who arrived at Kabul's International Airport Friday to board domestic and international flights were told they couldn't do so without a male guardian. Some of the women were dual nationals returning to their homes overseas, including some from Canada, according to one of the officials. Women were denied boarding on flights to Islamabad, Dubai and Turkey on Khmer and the state-owned Ariana airline, said the officials. The order came from the Taliban leadership, said one official. By Saturday, some women traveling alone were given permission to board an Ariana Airlines flight to western Herat province, the official said. However, by the time the permission was granted they had missed their flight, he said. The airport's president and police chief, both from the Taliban movement and both Islamic clerics, were meeting Saturday with airline officials. They are trying to solve it, the official said. It was still unclear whether the Taliban would exempt air travel from an order issued months ago requiring women traveling more than 45 miles, 72 kilometers, to be accompanied by a male relative. Taliban officials contacted by the Associated Press did not respond to multiple requests for comment. Since taking power last August, 
the Taliban leadership have been squabbling among themselves as they struggle to transition from war to governing. It has pit hardliners, like acting Prime Minister Mullah Hassan Akhund, who is deeply rooted in the old god, against the more pragmatic among them, like Sirajuddin Hakkani. He took over leadership of the powerful Hakkani network from his father Jalaluddin Hakkani. The elder Hakkani, who died several years ago, is from Akhund's generation, who ruled Afghanistan under the strict and unchallenged leadership of Mullah Mohammed Omar. Infuriating many Afghans is the knowledge that many of the Taliban of the younger generation, like Sirajuddin Hakkani, are educating their girls in Pakistan, while in Afghanistan women and girls have been targeted by their repressive edicts since taking power. This latest assault on women's rights in Taliban-run Afghanistan denying women air travel, comes just days after the all-male religiously driven government broke its promise to allow girls to return to school after the sixth grade. The move enraged the international community, which has been reluctant to recognize the Taliban-run government since the Taliban swept into power last August, fearing they would revert to their harsh rule of the 1990s. The Taliban's refusal to open up education to all Afghan children also infuriated large swaths of the Afghan population. On Saturday, dozens of girls demonstrated in the Afghan capital demanding the right to go to school. After the Taliban's ban on girls' education beyond the sixth grade, women's rights activist Mabuba Saraj went on Afghanistan's Tolo TV to ask. How do we as a nation trust you with your words anymore? What should we do to please you? Should we all die? An Afghan charity called Penpath, which runs dozens of secret schools with thousands of volunteers, is planning to stage countrywide protests to demand the Taliban reverse its order, said Marty Ulawasa, Penpath founder. On Saturday at the Doha Forum 2022 in Qatar, Roya Mabub, an Afghan businesswoman who founded an all-girl robotics team in Afghanistan, was given the Forum Award for her work and commitment to girls' education. U.S. Special Representative for Afghanistan Tom West cancelled meetings with the Taliban at the Doha Forum after classes for older girls were halted. Deputy U.S. State Department spokesperson Jalina Porter said in a statement that we have cancelled some of our engagements, including planned meetings in Doha and around the Doha Forum, and have made clear that we see this decision as a potential turning point in our engagement. The decision by the Taliban, if it is not swiftly reversed, will profoundly harm the Afghan people, the country's prospects for economic growth and the Taliban's ambition to improve their relations with the international community she said. West acknowledged that the Taliban had made promises since their takeover to allow girls and women to go to school. He said that both the US and the international community received the necessary assurances that was going to happen. I was surprised at the turnaround this past Wednesday and I think you've seen the world react in condemning this move West said. It is a breach, first and foremost, of the Afghan people's trust because they made the commitment. He added, I believe hope is not lost. 
I've talked to a lot of Afghans here who also believe that. I'm hopeful that we will see a reversal of this decision in the coming days. In an interview after receiving the Doha Forum Award, Mabub called on the many global leaders and policy makers attending the forum to press the Taliban to open schools for all Afghan children. The robotics team fled Afghanistan when the Taliban returned to power but Mabub said she still hoped a science and technology center she had hoped to build in Afghanistan for girls could still be constructed. I hope that the international community, the Muslim communities, have not forgotten about Afghanistan and will not abandon us she said. Afghanistan is a poor country. It doesn't have enough resources. And if you take away our knowledge, I don't know what's going to happen. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.